0: winning ninety percent of your new business because you have some sort of incredible
1: value. I'm gonna take a bit of a different angle.
2: You know a budget this big. I'm gonna give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a red bull to a turtle, what do you expect? I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to uh Be cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers.
2: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Pint podcast. I'm your host, Tom Reed, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance, Steve Earl, CEO of Cheap Insurance and Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitchell and Whale. Today, we are talking about markets and specifically how many markets is the right number. Uh, some of you may know, I used to uh, work uh, at BrokerLink and when I was there, we actually went down to one market, almost one market. We had, we had one market in First uh, in Lines in Alberta, uh, two actually in Ontario, uh, that main market being intact, uh, so we had a model that was essentially based on the staff knowing you know everything about the the market that we were selling and being trying to be more efficient and and go at it from that perspective. I'm also aware that there are brokers who have all the markets and they're uh, trying to make sure that they're able to satisfy any possible customer need out there. and I'm sure there's all kinds of models in between those two extremes so we're going to get into that um so the real the question we're going to ask here to our to our esteemed uh, my esteemed colleagues is you know how many does it really need what's what's the right number um and who should they be so let's do a quick status check here so i'm just going to go around the horn and let you guys ask and uh, answer a couple of questions like how many markets you currently have and if you can split it between personal and commercial um and let me know sort of what your main markets are or um, and what purpose they serve. And maybe, Jeff, I'll start with you.
3: I would suggest 15 to 20 main markets. Now, it depends how you define main market. And then we'd probably have access to 20 or 30 MGAs at that point. Uh, do we use all the MGAs? No, but during the hard market, you never know if you have a special type of risk where you need it.
2: Rittafer is uh, in personal insurance. Let's talk, talk personal lines first.
3: I would suggest we have a, about 12 to 14 key personal markets.
2: If you had to group the top three of those personal lines markets, uh, by volume, how much? What what percentage of your of your book do those top three have?
3: I would say top three would have about forty percent.
2: So you're just doing rough math. Your your top three, each of your top three markets has about twice the volume as your secondary markets do. Let's say. I would suggest that somewhere in that area. Steve, uh, how does that compare to you? We have eight, and
0: eight in Atlantic is pretty much all of them when it comes to to regular markets because not everybody's. In our neck of the woods, so um, is eight too many?
2: Eight, eight first lines markets. The top three. What percentage of your book do the top three have? Uh,
0: my traditional shop. The top three would have fifty uh, percent.
2: Adam, give us give us
1: your take on personal lines there. I'll add a bit of a different flavor. I was just adding all the companies we had a, a new business line with last year, and so you're over forty, but the top ten make up. 90% of it. So you have this dribs and drabs that comes in the other. It's, it's, I bet you if you divide this out, it's going to be the Pareto principle of the 80-20 rule. We're sort of at the 80-20
2: rule for you know, markets that you generally use versus markets you don't generally use. You know, and about a two to one volume ratio, sort of what I'm hearing across the board here. Now that's for personal lines. Let me break it down for me for commercial lines. Is that a similar story or is it a different story in commercial lines? In
0: commercial lines, 30% of my business is with MGAs. Uh and then it's the same eight, really. Well, no, not everybody does personal lines in those eight. So then six have the rest and the top um the top three again would account for probably forty percent of our commercial lines book.
2: So thirty percent of your business, your commercial businesses with MGAs, Jeff Adam. Are you guys in a similar similar ballpark there?
3: I'm not. Uh, we we don't have that much. I would say we probably have 5% with MGAs. Uh, we are personal lines heavy. Like We'd be 80% personal, 20% commercial. So we don't have as big a book. We haven't focused as much on it. We do have more farm in our commercials. So we have some farm mutuals. And I would say we have less companies. We'd probably have about eight main commercial and farm companies that we use uh, for that just because we don't do as much.
2: And your top three in commercial, what percentage of your book would they account for?
3: I would say uh, 40, 50%. You know, and then back to Adam's thing, like Pareto's principle, right? 20%, 80% probably is fairly true.
2: Steve's uh, 30% MGA share. How does that compare to uh,
1: your book? At quick glance is 30% with MGA of commercial. Yeah, I'd believe it. Could be there. So I guess the message,
2: the message for carriers is, hey, if you're not in the top call it three to five you're getting half the business from from that broker
1: i wonder if the scattering looks different than the google sort of placement chart you know they always say that 80 percent goes to number one and goes down and then by the time you're on position four or five you're starting to divide the rest
3: if you have a good value proposition and you're hungry and you've, you can actually do it then that can change right
1: there's also a familiarity
2: issue like i having been on the broker side i know there are markets that get placed more often because the broker or your marketing person or whatever is super comfortable with that and they they know that business they know the underwriters they they can they they can get their job done quickly with that those top markets.
3: Over the last 18th month the COVID factor that's been flipped on its head a bit because some of the people have left, they're not there, they're working at home, you can't get a hold of them. Some people, some companies of ours have maintained decent relationships, but it has been a struggle and every you know, brokers have struggled for talent, the war on talent companies have so some of that beauty of having that connection, some of that's been lost over the last, you know, 2 years.
0: We just did an analysis to look at our markets and I I surveyed each of the teams to see. I wanted to know who is the fastest to deal with, who's the most efficient, and who are the favorites. And it was funny because the um, the new business teams' um, responses compared to the service team were were kind of different, but there were there were certainly trends. And the top the top three markets um, were. We're generally the ones that we place the most new business with, because they're the easiest to do business with.
2: So, guys, put this in put this in context for me. So, we're we're talking about more versus less markets. I'm going to go on a limb and say, if you've got less markets and one or more of those markets goes, you know, takes a left hand turn on you, that's that's a huge problem, right? So, I I think there's some obvious cons of having less market. Do you guys see what are the cons of having you know, more slash all the markets. I
0: don't think that there's a a correct answer for all brokers because, uh, you know, like the, the, the question is like, who are you and what you want to accomplish? So if you're a smaller broker um, and you want to grow, you need, more markets. If you're a bigger broker and you want to grow, you need more markets. Like like the more market, more opportunity you have in order to close a sale with more markets is better. But are you, if you're smaller and you don't have the volume to feed that many mouths, your relationships are not as strong. Um, you're less efficient. Who are you if you only have, if, if you barely have CPC volume with, with 40 markets
1: if you can't sustain the losses right like if a single house fire is going to jeopardize that relationship or contract carrying a lot of markets means you got to be throwing a lot of volume around is there a minimum volume with a market that that you think you should have i think the conversation i mean i think most markets will tell you they they don't want to talk for under a million i think realistically they'll tell you two million and I think safe harbor starts to come north of $3 million. You start to have some financial staying power. If you're just over a million, you're on the next chopping block. And it's evidenced by the, the companies all moving their CPC line up and up. And if you're not growing and over this critical mass and size, it's not affordable for them to keep sending out relationship managers to $300,000 books.
3: $3 million, like seems to be the new line because you get a bad A-B claim. It could be a million, million and a half dollars, a bad lawsuit, bad fire, like it and it can wipe you out for multiple years depending on the CPC contracts, right? You just have no ability to absorb it. The shock loss amounts have gone up, uh, you know, whether it's 750 a mil, and then you got a bad thing called weather creeping around, where you know, we had Tornado Tuesday come through this area, you know, th- every Tuesday for three weeks almost in the September, so the weather seems to be, you know, I think there's bad high winds out your way, Steve, like 150 kilometer winds, MP or something yesterday so like it just seems to be a lot more frequent storms and one bad storm and again yes it's a shock loss but your loss ratios can be tanked by one big weather event especially if you're only five or six hundred thousand bigger books perform better
1: i'm not i'm not sure that that's universally true there's a sweet spot and like you do hear complaints about the giant size of books and the abusive behavior that can come with that you know it's it's easier to manage one broker with a large book of business and change
2: behavior change the profile change relationship than it is to manage, you know, a hundred small brokers who might, you know, add up to that that one large broker. It's just, it's much easier from a carriage perspective to say, you know what, I'll take these fifty guys and just just cancel them. That's just, that's my my best way of handling it. Uh, whereas you're not, you're not typically going to cancel that that massive broker without having a real hard look at the at the situation. But let me let me turn this away from the financial side for a second. What we, talk, we talked about relationship a bit earlier and, and you know, wanting to have that relationship with your carriers. What other, what, what non-financial or, you know, out, outside of the benefits we just talked about, what other benefits does having scale with a market give you?
1: It's, it's the leverage, right? So if you have a $5 million book with a market and you're you're placing a phone call to navigate a problem, it's going to be handled with the consequence of a $5 million relationship it just makes good business sense if you're a market and i call you and say hey tom i have this uh, opportunity ask something and it's a ten twenty thousand dollar ask you're going to look at it through the lens of the entire relationship so if we annually pump five ten million dollars through your organization you'd say hey this is uh you know a winner we've been attached to it's classically had the good tailwind of of profitability to it yeah we can afford to, to meet this ask or take this bet, if it's smaller and it's just on that precipice of not making any money and not being a profitable relationship, it's like the buying power, right? If, uh, if Walmart calls you and, you know, has an ask and you're doing a ton of business with them, it's a different level of ask versus a nobody in their, in their food chain.
3: Tom, flip this back over to you. You got experience working at the companies, dealing with uber big uh, brokerages. Uh, you know, when they come in and say, Hey, we want to do this and we're going to promise you that how much more power do they have than a smaller person doing that?
2: So let me tell you the way it worked when I was at a, you know, at a carrier running a region is the smaller broker got to email their business development rep, you know, the medium-sized broker got to talk to their BD rep. You know, the big broker had my phone number, and the really big brokers went to Vegas with me to work on strategy. <laughs> From the carriers' perspective, you look at a billion-dollar-plus carrier, definities three billion, while when he says you know, around that bump you know, uh, number as well. Uh, you got you got some guy coming in who's a million bucks, says he's going to double. It's not even a rounding error for them, but you got a fifty-million-dollar broker coming in say you want to do something, or a hundred-million-dollar broker saying they want to do something. Now they're interested because now it actually is meaningful. To them from their perspective.
3: All these companies that have spent hundreds of millions on GuideWire, they're getting all our rating data from applied systems through the API, yet nobody seems to be able to point us in there like a dividing rod to find out where water is in the right direction. That is something that I I think we should be able to get from our markets. Like we're partners, you tell me where you're hot and where your rates are. There's, you know, 9 million different variables. Yes, I have my own data and I can tell you what I'm doing, but if I had a little more nudge, nudge, and focus, that would be great. Uh, Engage my team. Like one of the one of the things is you know some companies have you in a portal. They send a whole bunch of emails. Some emails are brutal, and I see them come in every week, and I don't want to read them. Put some effort into and personalize it. Get to know my people. You know, get to know us as principals. Like I don't. I question if some of the company reps and stuff like that, marketing people, have our materials. You know, they, do. They follow any of the brokerages? What do they know? Are they actually connected? You know, did they know? You know, Harvey McKay had the seventy point of what you should know about your clients. I would question how much companies know as people get transitioned about each broker and brokerage and have those 70 points about the principles and some of the key people. Like that's some of the stuff I'd like to see. I feel like relationships could go a whole different level if, if some more effort was put into it. And I feel there's been a lot of apathy and I hear the term COVID for the last two years. And I really feel like we're at a point we got to really get back to basics, picking up the phone, seeing people, building relationships and putting some time I mean, you know, I, we're just not having those meetings. You know, the other thing is meetings with key executives. We used to meet once, twice a year with key executives. I don't know. I haven't really seen a lot of people over the last couple of years, right? I don't know, Adam, Steve, have you seen how many people had many meetings? I'll
1: take another 10 years of no more meetings, right? Like send me a memo for, I don't want a person and the booking of a person that doesn't have any ability to deviate from the message. If you're sending a messenger, send a memo. We have every company, but one paying CPC this year, we have a profitable book. We, we gave the collective mass nearly $30 million of new business last year. Um, I'm tired of being looped in to the, the memo people, right? Like, why are you, why am I in the rank and file if we are delivering you way
4: outsourced results with profitability? to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cash certified. That's the being
0: heard thing. I think like advisory councils disappeared. Like what's important to me in, and it sort of speaks to what Adam says is I, I want to know that I'm heard if this is a so-called partnership, I don't want to find out after the fact that we've done this, here's a list, do all this with this. This is what we've decided. This is what, and, and we're handed things rather than if it is a partnership, how's this going to affect you, Steve, Adam, Jeff, whoever. This is we 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 have goals that we want to accomplish. This is how you can help us do it. You have goals and, and that that sort of thing. So all during this COVID thing, there's been a ton of decision making that's gone on with the broker's absence, and and we found out through memos. I'm
2: gonna go on a limb and say that definitely. I would say COVID is a mitigating or a a um, a factor in in making that kind of thing happen. I mean. Having worked at a couple of major carriers, I know there's generally, in the past, there was always somebody, usually the, the business development side of the house brought the broker perspective to the table and made sure that there was consultation and advisory boards and so on and so on. Co- COVID's an opportunity to avoid some less stuff. It sh- it's, it's an excuse, it's, it's not a reason to do it and it shouldn't happen, but it's definitely a convenient excuse. So let me, let me turn this around a little bit here, guys, you, um, and ca- kind of bring some of these thoughts together. So I'm gonna ask you a double question. We all we all know when the last time a carrier canceled the broker was. Yeah, it was this morning or yesterday. It was recently, right? Um, When was the last time each of you canceled the market? Why? And then and then that's part A. Part B is tell me what the characteristics of a partner carrier are that you would never get rid of. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. Who's who's the last carrier you fired? And what's what's the top three things you look for in a carrier?
3: Well, last time we've ever part, we have parted ways with very few carriers, and uh, it would probably be four or five years ago we parted ways with Unica, and the guy, the people at Unica are doing some great stuff. No disregard, just that their strategy and our strategy was not aligned. Uh, they were going after a higher network of individuals. They had some commercial stuff that was coming along, but their personal line stuff wasn't hitting uh, the stuff that we we're looking at that point. So we uh, we just didn't have a fit at that point, and uh, you know we very seldom. Ever will terminate a relationship. I think I've terminated two relationships in 31 years. Uh, at guy, we're super loyal. We have conversations. and We're looking at long time perspective. I mean, it's not like the stock market. We're trying to get in, get out, and up. You know, we're trying to build. You know, it's it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. So so those are some. That's the last market that we we have terminated ourselves. Uh, what I look for in a market. I just want to, first of all, I want to have a good relationship with their team. I want to know they got my back. I want to know the people I'm dealing with. Uh, I had one carrier who's no longer in Canada, you know, have we have been canceled? I think we've been canceled by one market and it was AXA back in 2001. I'll never forget it. I went to their golf tournament. They loved me, everything was great. And then all of a sudden 9-11 hit and the reinsurers and they looked at the, they, and we had combined at that point, our, our group or cluster had combined volume. So I had one bad year another person had two bad years and they were different years and we just combined everything. We were growing, but all of a sudden uh, things were bad. And we got jettisoned because they took the bottom 20% of their book and cut them. And I'll never forget that. And uh, you know, I just want people to be upfront and honest with me and I want them to figure out, Hey, how can we help you? Let's we're partners. How can we help each other? It's not a one-way street. If there's a problem, I want to be able to talk about it and come up with some solutions and work on it together.
2: Steve, who was the last or when was the last time you of waves of the carrier on you know, of your own volition and what are the what are the top three characteristics you look for in a in a true partner carrier
0: the last company that uh, we canceled was uh rsa six months before they were acquired so i kind of looked like uh i knew what was going on there when i really didn't uh it was six eight months before um and the re- I, I can tell you the reasons why it was just like Jeff said, it was, it was overall phil- philosophical differences. We had, we had had RSA in our office um, for 50 years and uh, they went through a period, um, they were our biggest market all through the 70s and 80s. Uh, they went through a period in the late 90s where they needed to sort of purge their book and fix things. Uh, we went down. Uh, They went to number six or seven uh, in the early 2000s, and we were down to uh, somewhere, we'll call it just south of a million in premium, and it sat at just south of a million in premium for 15, 16 years. When we had quintupled in size, that book stayed exactly the same, Um, and they weren't giving me the things which lead into your next Question, Tom, about what what makes a valuable partnership, right? Um, so we are misaligned on commercial lines. Um, RSA had a um, a very clear uh, broker stratification. Um, you know, your alphabet house, you're a favorite locally, or you're a peon, and it, they, their structure made it very difficult to go from peon to anything else. Um so the things that I valued were were support growth, right? That that book sat there the same size forever. So how is, how is that relation how is how is having a contract with that insurance company adding adding value to what I'm trying to accomplish as an o- entrepreneur and at the time that one wasn't and hadn't been for many many years. So are they supporting my growth?
2: Right, Adam? Uh last but not least, last market you fired and uh what do you look for in a in a true partner.
1: Yeah, we've never technically fired a a company. I I guess if we go all the way back through there, we had a similar story to Jeff with, with Unica. Uh, They had a very micro niche creamer program going towards high value and commercial. And for me, I never quite understood why they deserved that business over the incumbent partners that were, you know, taking a share of all the kinds of business. Um, So we shook hands. Uh, The second one is Echelon. And I think that was primarily because they were prepping the company for sale to CAA. So they had to make some decisions um, similar to Steve's timing. But in in general, we just don't break up. Um, It's been part of our strategy of the size of our offering is... By having so many markets for such a long time, it never mattered to me or us if somebody was in favor or out of favor, because if you needed a couple years off to sit on the bench, it didn't really affect our playbook. And if you wanted back in a couple years later, great. Welcome back to the game. You know, we went through stages of uh, Dominion, sitting on the bench for years. They were really good for a while, and then they sat not really growing or doing much. Uh, we had similar with RSA. They wrote for a bunch and didn't. So I think I, I, I like the, the intelligence and honesty out of the markets. Um, I struggle sometimes with the word partner, and I think it gets thrown around too lightly, of a lot of these carriers are manufacturing rate and we're distributing it. And there's not a lot of partnership per se. There's not a lot of shared investment. There's not a lot of shared collaborating. There's not a lot of shared strategy. They're doing what they do and sometimes it aligns with our distribution and off we go.
3: Are we partners? Are we stakeholders, right? You know, partners, you know, if they look after each other. They're they're you know, it's give and take on both sides. Whereas a stakeholder, if your numbers and results are great, everything's great. But if they're not, you're out the door. So, you know, you have to decide. Some companies have been good partners and some people have been stakeholders and some people flip back and forth depending on management, culture, results.
0: I had um I had a very, very smart man who's been in the business twice as long as my lifetime. I asked him once, I said, who, who's your favorite in all your experience over the years? Who is, who's your favorite? Who's your go-to? And the response sort of shocked me, but the response was, Stephen, they are all just shades of gray to me because they 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 can you are numbers to them and that is all you'll ever be so they are just shades of gray to me now you can have good relationships with local people but they're going to change too and even the ones of the higher uh, uh, in the ivory towers in toronto they're going to change too and still at the end of the day you're a numbers to them And they need to be just shades
2: of gray to you.
3: One of the things I don't, that's an interesting observation. One of the things we didn't really talk about is, you know, we have mutuals where I live. And I think, you know, Adam, you have, you do, you farm mutuals that some of them don't want very much business, but we've got some mutuals and they've got kind of a whole different vibe and tradition. And again, they don't want to grow 15 or 20% because they have to grow their own profitability. They they can't go to the market for money. So they're happy with 5%, 6 7% growth. And a lot of them have been there. Like we've we've got relationships now for 60, 70 years with some of the mutuals that go back a long way. And it has gone multi-generational. And they do have that long-time perspective. You know, they they write in a very small defined area, but people in that area know that mutual. So that's kind of a different vibe than, you know, your primary big, you know, Canadian-wide companies or national companies uh, that are, you know, externally owned versus some of the mutuals or you know the more niche companies right so you kind of have your your different levels
2: my my view on the mutuals is especially those sort of those farm mutuals that they fit a certain segment of your book of business but they're never going to fuel the expansion you know assuming you want to grow more than gdp plus two uh they're never going to fuel that you need a private market an intact, and intact an aviva definity Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
3: And that said, like, you know what? I think you can have some decent growth with the Farm Mutual, especially if you're writing a special niche. Like if you're farm commercial, they have a special niche that's good at that. You can do very well with them. So there's some people that have done phenomenal with the mutuals. So, you know, they, there's some people that have bucked that trend, right?
2: True. But that, that'd be, you know, three out of 3,000 brokerages across the country. Right, it's not it's not a generic strategy by any stretch of the imagination.
3: Adam, I'm not sure you don't rely probably in your 70 companies as much on a mutual, but where I live in a town of 3,200 people in Clinton, Ontario, mutuals are still important and they still have, people still want to deal with that. So it's a little different vibe, right? There's certain pockets where it's big, other ones it's not, right? So I don't, I just can't discount them. But obviously, people in Toronto, the mutuals don't write there. That's where a majority of the population is, so it's a different a different game, right?
2: Even you, Jeff, I don't. Re- maybe i'm recalling it wrong but i don't re- i don't recall a our mutual being in your top three, you know, 40, 50 percent of your book of business.
3: I do have one. Yeah, actually, one of my farm mutuals is in my top four companies. So I do have one of my farm mutuals that is that, that is significantly big. And we had we grew seven percent last year, and they they didn't want to grow 20 percent. And we don't we don't make, we don't want to grow more than they want to, right? That's where we talk back and forth. So you know, this farm mutual does right, right, pretty much right across Ontario. So it's a little different. It's a little more of a. It's one of the bigger farm mutuals. So it's a little different, right? Are you talking about
0: small mutuals or the Walwaneses or the
3: this is a farm mutual versus a mutual company, right? Well, we needs to be a mutual company not a farm mutual and Gore mutual company not a farm mutual. Like Heartland Heartland is a farm mutual, probably right for 140, 150 million, they're growing. They're a bigger farm mutual, right? So they're a little more aggressive and they have a bigger area of operation than some of the smaller ones, right?
2: They definitely have a place, you know, in in any broker's portfolio, but my point is they're they're not going to fuel your Growth strategy
3: as a brokerage. It's that balance between making sure your organization can handle those, you can support them, you have a plan to be able to integrate them and keep all the wheels going. Which Adam probably can attest more than anybody. Like you know, with all your companies you've got the size, juggling all those rules and companies and relationships can be very time consuming, right?
2: Let me ask you guys one more question here, and this 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 question will be on behalf of all the carriers out there. So let let's say I'm the BD rep or the VP of business development for the number five company. In your portfolio, right? And I want to be in your top three. I want to go from being one of those guys getting half what the other guys are getting to one of the you know one of the guys getting getting all, all the all the prime opportunities. So I walk in your office virtually or otherwise. I'm the VP of business development, so I've got I've got some power at my disposal. I've got a budget. I I, I can do some things. What's What's the one thing that you ask me to do that will allow me to jump from number five or number six to you know, number two or number three. Do all my portal entry for me. <laughs>
3: Price your products competitively. So you're in the your top two or three in profitable areas, you're gonna get the business.
2: Okay, so it's about, F, you know, expense on Steve's side. It's about uh, pricing on Jeff's side,
1: Adam. I'd, I'd agree with both of those, maybe Jeff more so than the other, um, but I'll, I'll pile on on a separate one and say, I'll reverse the question and say, Tom, why why you? Why you guys? so if if you are a market please communicate to me in a way i can demonstrate to my customer or prospect um why is your auto product better than the aviva intact and Walanisa auto product
3: good point adam and i think to kind of flip it back too is you know, not only is pricing important, but help my team. Like if I have a question, like hopefully it's simple and we don't need to call you. Like if my team has to call you or I have to go into a portal, that's cost to be money. So I'd like friction reduced. But if I have to pick up the phone and there's a gray area one, let me get a hold of somebody quickly and, you know, help us out.
1: I think that's worth unpacking. You you said a bunch in that, like if we were to survey our team, so there's, you know. 60, 80 people on the front lines, you know, fighting these fights every day. And we said, hey, which insurance companies do you love best this quarter or year? I bet you it would be very directly co-related to how long they wait on hold.
3: Try and find a way to help people. I always find right now during COVID and underwriting that if there's any, if there's any question, that's a no. Because no is easy and there's no thinking, there's no help, there's no scorecard. It's no, no, no. Especially in a hard market. You know, hard markets, companies, it's all no, no, no until we get to profitable. Then we have profitability and then all of a sudden the favors will come out again until they don't, right?
1: Jeff said, hey, you know, show my people some love, make them feel important. They have a tag on there. You know, I'd like a a purposeful meeting a customized email and i'll say the exact opposite don't call me don't visit treat our team like crap but answer the phone on the very first ring with a person who's intelligent and able to help and decide and have a competitively priced product and we're going to do gobs and gobs of business together
0: Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is.
1: That's why at IFS,
0: we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call.
4: I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Don't settle for less. Do more with MBS. For more information about nationwide brokerage solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified.